Well, here at Thrive Church, we are doing a series called The Art of Healthy Relating. And in this series, we're talking about relationships and how to have healthy relationships with one another. And see, in this pandemic, they say that since the pandemic began, that across the nation, across Canada, over 5 million people have reported going through some kind of breakup. That's a lot of breakups, 5 million people going through breakups. And here's, here's the thing, is that here at Thrive, we really want you to have healthy relationships with others in your home, in your family, with the people you work with and study with, your friends. And that's why why we're doing this series called The Art of Healthy Relating. And today, as promised, we said we would do a relationship Q&A, because a lot of you brought in questions over the past several weeks about relationships, and we got so many questions, too many for us to cover. We're going to try to cover as many as we can, as best we can today. But maybe you're here, you're wondering, why are we focusing so much on relationships? Well, let me give you three reasons why we need to invest in our relationships. Other than the fact that there's a pandemic going on, and and, you know, people's relationships has not been doing well, you know, across the nation. What is the reason why we are focusing so much on relationships? Let me give you three reasons today. You can write this down even if you want. Number one, reason number one why you need to invest in your relationships. Number one is your happiness and health depend more than anything on the quality of your relationships. See, your happiness and health depend not just on your career, not just on the food that you eat, but it depends on the quality of your relationships. Proverbs 21 verse 9 says this. It says, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. See, who wrote this proverb? This is a guy called Solomon. He was the king of Israel. And I could just imagine, you, some of you know my theory on how King Solomon came up with this proverb. I could imagine that he's in his beautiful royal palace. He's got wealth like no other. And he can't enjoy it because his wife is constantly nagging at him, criticizing him, complaining to him. And so because he can't find any peace in this beautiful home that he's in, he goes up to the attic of his palace. He locks the door. He's hoping to enjoy some peace and quiet, and there in his attic, he writes Proverbs 21, verse 9, it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. And then when he hears his wife banging on the door and saying, are you in there? Is that you? I'm coming in. And she comes in, starts nagging in. He, he, he leaves. He gets out of the house. He goes out into the desert by himself. And then he goes on to write Proverbs 21, verse 19, which says, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. See, here's the thing. What's the point there? Is you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the fame you could ever ask for. You could have good looks and everything else going for you. But if you don't have healthy relationships with the people who are closest to you, then you're going to find that life is still pretty unsatisfying. It's because your happiness and your health depend on the quality of relationships. If you believe that, say amen. And see, it's because there's nothing that gives us more joy and also nothing that causes us more pain than the quality of our relationships. When your relationships are going well, it's the closest thing to heaven on earth. But I don't know about you, but when our relationships are not going well, it's the closest thing to a living hell. And see, here's the thing. I find this is that when I am going through a tough time in a relationship, that stress from relationships 
is a different kind of stress than just going through work stress or stress because of other things. Is that it seems like relationship stress is on a whole nother level of stress. In fact, more and more studies are showing that when your relationships are not doing well, not only does it take a toll on you emotionally, even more, it takes a toll on you physically. For example, there was a study by the University of Michigan on married couples, and they found that an unhappy marriage can increase your chances of getting sick by 35%. They even found that it can even shorten, an unhappy marriage can actually shorten your lifespan by four to eight years on average. And unfortunately, divorce can sometimes increase those chances even more. Other studies have found that when our relationships are not doing well, we become more vulnerable to physical issues like high blood pressure, heart disease, hypertension, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, violent behavior, and suicide. Harvard University, about 80 years ago, they embarked on one of the most ambitious studies ever done on adult life, where they literally followed hundreds upon hundreds of adults at about the age of 19 years old. They followed them from age 19 over 80 years. So basically from age 19 all the way till they died. Many of them have already died. And they kind of just mapped out what was going on in their lives over 80 years. And they didn't just study them, they studied their kids and their grandkids. It's become one of the world's longest and most comprehensive studies of human adult life. And this study found something which is this. They found that the key to healthy aging, if you want to age well, the key is not money, the key is not fame, the key is not cholesterol levels or good genes, but this Harvard University study found that the key to aging well is close relationships. In fact, Robert Waldner, he's a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and he served as one of the directors of the study. And he says this, he says, the surprising finding from the study is that how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health. Taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. And see, in other words, you can be super health conscious. You can watch what you eat. You can exercise every day, running outside, going on your Peloton, going to all these different gym classes. You can try to sleep well. You can try to consume all the multivitamins and probiotics that you think you need. You know, vitamin K, vitamin D, vitamin B, vitamin C, you know, omega-3, stress B, all these different things that you think you need to keep yourself healthy. But here's the thing. You will still be very unhealthy if you don't have healthy relationships. And see, here's the thing. It's not just the two people in a relationship who are impacted when the relationship is not doing well. Guess what? If you are married and you've got kids, your kids are that much more impacted by how happy and healthy your relationship with your spouse is. Dr. John Gottman, he's known as one of America's most foremost relationship experts. He takes a very scientific approach to studying relationships. In over 45 years, Dr. John Gottman, he has studied over 3,000 couples as well as their kids. And Gottman found that babies who are raised in a home where the people, where the parents are always fighting are often in conflict, those babies experience a host of problems. They had chronically higher levels of stress hormones. They had higher blood pressure. They had the tendency to withdraw from their parents more. Their speech and their potty training, as well as their ability to stay focused on any one task, all of those developed more slowly. Their ability to self-soothe was, you know, was, was not as fast as those who came from you know, better, you know, more harmonious families. They found it harder to attach emotionally to their parents. They were at greater risk of experiencing depression, getting sick, and overall, their intellectual and emotional development suffered when their parents were often fighting. 
And see, Dr. Gottman, he didn't just look at children, he also looked at teenagers. And he found that teenagers who grew up in a home where there was much fighting and much friction found that compared to teens who reported coming from relatively happy homes, that these teens were more prone to depression, skipping school, aggressive behavior, low academic achievement, and sensitivity to rejection. And after doing all these different studies, Dr. Gottman came to this conclusion. He wrote this, he said, the greatest gift a couple can give their baby is a loving relationship because that relationship nourishes baby's development. The stronger the connection between parents, the healthier the child can grow, both emotionally and intellectually. Children can't thrive in stormy seas. In other words, you, if you're a parent with kids today, would you know what your kids need more than toys or a good education? What they need is they need to see their parents in a healthy marriage. See, whether you're single or you're married or you're young or you don't feel so young anymore, the fact is nothing affects our happiness and health more than the quality of our relationships. That's reason number one. That's reason number one why we're talking so much about relationships these days. Look at reason number two. You can write this one down too. Your success in life depends more than anything on how you handle your relationships. See, Teddy Roosevelt, He's considered by many to be one of the greatest presidents in U.S. history. And one time he was asked, what is the secret to success? And Teddy Roosevelt, his response was this. He said, the single most important ingredient to the formula of success is knowing how to get along with people. It's not your IQ. It's not your connections, but it's your ability to get along with people. Once John D. Rockefeller, who went from a life of poverty to becoming what is widely known as the richest man in modern history, John D. Rockefeller was once asked, what's the most important quality you look for when you decide to hire or promote someone in your company? And John D. Rockefeller, his reply was, I will pay more for the ability to deal with people than any other ability under the sun. You see, 2,000 years before Teddy Roosevelt or John D. Rockefeller were talking about the importance of relationships, the Bible was talking about the importance of relationships. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. It says this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these in love. In other words, is how you treat people is more important than how smart you are, how much talent you have, what background you come from, how good looking you may be. It's more important to your success how you treat people than any of those things. Your emotional intelligence, your EQ, how you treat people, how you handle relationships is even more important than your IQ when it comes to your success. You can be the most talented person around, but if you're not good at handling relationships, it will short circuit your success. You will find that opportunities will slip through your fingers without you even realizing. It's because more than anything, the quality of your relationships affects your success in life. If you believe that, say amen. Number three, third reason why we're focusing so much on relationships, and then we're going to a Q&A. How we manage our relationships matters to God. See, once Jesus, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment in all the Bible? And this is how Jesus replied. So you look at Matthew chapter 22 and read it for yourself. It says, verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, what is Jesus saying? According to Jesus, the number one reason why God placed you on this earth is for relationships. You were made for a healthy relationship with God and healthy relationships with people. Love God, love people. See, relationships are not the side mission. Relationships are the mission. See, you could succeed at making money. You could succeed at living in a big house. You could succeed at getting the best grades. You could succeed at going to the best schools. You could succeed at becoming famous. But if you never learn to have healthy relationships, in God's eyes, you still miss the point of your life. It's because God cares about how we handle our relationships. In fact, one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account to God for how you handled your relationships. And so since your happiness depends on it, since your success in life depends on it, since your health depends on it, since your life mission and purpose depend on it, that's why here in this series called The Art of Healthy Relating, we're talking about different keys, very practical keys to having healthy relationships with one another. We've talked about things like the importance of being intentional in your relationships. Talked about the importance of self-care, taking care of yourself so you can take care of others well. We've talked about the importance of healthy communication when you're in conflict. We've talked about the importance of making love last. We've talked about the importance of refreshing your relationships. We've talked about the importance of R and R, which is responsibility and respect and the role that those play in our relationships. We've talked about the importance of understanding your love and all these different keys to healthier relationships with one another. And guess what? We're nearing the end of this series. Everyone go, aw. I know, I know we've enjoyed the series as well, but see, as promised, we wanted to do a Q&A just before we end off the series in a couple weeks. We want to make sure we did a Q&A with all of you where we give you an opportunity to ask some of the questions that are on your mind and we'll do our best to answer it. Now, originally, I was hoping that Pastor Charlene could also join me on this stage so that you could get both a male and a female perspective on some of the questions we're talking about today. But, you know, for, for reasons beyond her control, she couldn't be uh, on the stage with me today. So in case in case you're wondering what Pastor Shar thinks about some of these questions, you can always email her at sleeplessmom at thrivechurch.ca. That sleepless mom, that's S-L-E-E-P-L-E-S-S-M-O-M at thrivechurch.ca. Just kidding. That's not her email address, all right? Uh, although she is a sleepless mom. If you write to sleepless mom at thrivechurch.ca, I'm not sure if you're going to get uh, a response from her. You might get a response from our multimedia specialist, Ryan, though, because uh, he is in many ways a sleepless mom right now. M-O-M is a, is a master of multimedia or manager of multimedia. He's our sleepless mom right now. We thank God for him and his team and helping us get this all together. So, you know, who knows who's going to respond to you if you write to sleeplessmom at thrivechurch.ca. But whatever the case is, we received a lot of questions. In fact, too many to go into detail in one session. But because we take your questions seriously, let me just tell you this. Because we take your questions seriously, we don't want to give you just a quick, cursory, thoughtless answer to some of these questions because that might just be more harmful than helpful. And in fact, a number of the questions that people asked were questions that we've actually dealt with in detail in pre 
previous series and previous relationship messages. Uh, because in fact, I don't know if you know this, but once a year, maybe you're new to Thrive, maybe you don't know that once a year, we try to do a series on relationships. And so one of the best things I can do to help some of you with some of the questions we've asked is actually to refer you to other past messages we've done where we've gone and spent hours and hours and hours preparing and delivering messages specifically on the question that you've asked. And you might want to go to our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast or our YouTube channel for more on that. I'll refer you when I need to to those. But let's start with question number one of our relationship Q&A. Are you guys ready for a Q&A? All right. Hopefully we'll have some fun with this as well. There's a little bit more off the cuff, uh, but uh, we're just going to try this as best we can. Question number one. This is what one of you wrote. Is there such thing as being ready for a relationship? How do I know if I'm ready to date or to commit in a romantic relationship? Let me take a drink of water while I think about that one. Hmm. Okay. Is there such thing as being ready for a relationship? How do I know if I am ready? All right, if you're a parent and say your kid asks you this question, am I ready for a relationship? What would you say? <laughs> when my parents and I were still living in the same home, I asked them that question. And the first time I ever asked it, I was in grade eight. In grade eight, I already wanted to date. And I can remember I was sitting in the back seat of their car, they were driving in the front. And I'm like, mom, dad, can I date? They're like, you want to date? You're like 13 years old. I'm like, yeah, I want to date now. Oh, can, you, can you just wait for university? I'm like, I don't want to wait for university. I want to date now. And they're like, are you sure you're mature enough? I'm, like, I'm mature enough. I'm mature enough. What makes you think I'm not mature enough? And, and, and they're like, oh, you want to date? You date, right? That, that's not how my dad really sounds, but you get the point. It's, they're like, you know what? This guy is so stubborn. He doesn't want to listen to any advice. He doesn't think that mature is an issue for him, so fine, you want to date, you go ahead and date. And so that's exactly what I did. Start, at least I tried to. In grade eight, you know, I started to try to date people in a way where I just kind of did what my friends were doing. I just did what Hollywood would do. So, you, know, you, you know, if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, stop it. You know, if you like her, chase her. You know, it's, it's, it was just, just not a whole lot of thought to it. It's just basically chasing your feelings, chasing your hormones, chasing whatever attraction you feel like. But you know what? After following that kind of approach to dating and relationships for a number of years, I left just a string of heartbreak and regret, both for myself and for others. I was obviously at that time not mature enough to date. And if I hate to admit it, but my parents were right, is that whether or not a person is ready to date boils down to a question of maturity. Is that I'm not just talking about physical or sexual maturity. I'm talking about emotional, spiritual maturity. I'm talking about maturity in your character. And see, here's the, here's the thing about character. A lot of people confuse two things, personality and character. And see, a lot of people say, oh, I'm looking for someone with a good personality. But let me tell you this, everyone has a good personality. Whether they're shy or they're outgoing, they're serious, they're funny, you know, they're more feelers or they're more thinkers. The fact is, God has given you a unique personality to serve him with, and that is a gift from God. It's something that you can't really judge as right or wrong or good or bad. It's just, these are just subjective qualities that make you who you are. That's your personality. I wouldn't say personality. 
But there's another thing called your character. And according to your, the Bible, character is not something that's subjective and you, you can't really judge it as right or wrong, but character is something that has to do with objective qualities. Like, are you trustworthy? Are you responsible? Are you humble? Are you a good team player? You know, are, are you encouraging? Are you resilient? These are things that you can judge as qualities that are good or bad, right or wrong. And how do you know this? Is that your personality is God's gift to you. Your character is your gift to God. And see, here's the thing, is that when it comes to maturity and being ready to date, to being ready for a relationship, a lot of it has to do with how mature are you in your character. In back in 2019, we did another relationship series called Known and Loved. And in that series, we did a message called The First Thing to Look For in a Life Partner. That was in May 2019. And in that message, we looked at nine character traits that you want to make sure that you have or that the other person you're thinking about has before you enter into a serious relationship with them, before you marry that person. Those nine character traits are some of the basic things that you want to be keeping in mind if you want to understand, am I mature enough for a relationship? But let me take it from a different angle today. See, what are some red flags that you or the person you're considering need to keep in mind that might indicate that maybe, just maybe, you're not yet ready for a relationship? What are some of those red flags? Let me give you five today. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are just examples of issues that if they are present in your life in an ongoing, habitual way, it may mean that you need to think twice before entering into any relationship right now. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. None of us is. None of us ever will be. Not until we see Jesus face to face. We all are broken. We all are a work in progress. We are all going through our own struggles. We're all messed up in our own way, and we all mess up from time to time, including myself. So the standard isn't perfection, but the standard we're looking for is consistency, is that if any of the issues I'm going to identify in just a bit are ongoing, habitual issues for you, where you struggle with it on an ongoing, almost daily basis, then this may be a clue that this is a red flag, and you need to maybe pause on the relationships stuff and work on yourself before you do anything else. Here are five red flags you want to keep in mind. Red flag number one, a problem with anger. See, if you are someone who has a very, very short fuse and things, little things set you off often, you often have these temper tantrums, you might even get violent in the way you express your anger, then you have a problem with anger that will need to make you think twice about getting into a relationship right now. Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says this. It says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Proverbs 29, 22 says this, it says, an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. But let me ask you a question. Is it a sin to be angry? Is it? Not necessarily. See, the fact is, all of us will feel angry from time to time. Sometimes extremely angry, and sometimes justifiably so. What matters is how we deal with that anger. And see, if you or the person that you're considering has a super short fuse, has an explosive temper, has violent tendencies, is often you know, thinking about revenge, and they're often playing out in their mind scenes from The Godfather or, I don't know, Jaws or whatever revenge movie you want to think about, and you got to think twice about whether that person is ready for a relationship. Because guess what? A marriage with an angry person is going to be filled with fear, stress, and insecurity. Amen? you got to watch out for that first red flag as a problem with anger. Problem number two, or red flag number two, a problem with addiction. Whether it's an addiction to drugs, or an addiction to alcohol, 
or an addiction to pornography, or an addiction to gambling, or something else, some other addictive behavior that causes harm to oneself and or to others. See, few things create more stress, more frustration, and more danger in a relationship than when one person has an addiction. And if left unchecked and untaken care of, an addiction can destroy a relationship. It can destroy marriages. It can destroy families. And so if you're struggling with an addiction today, you want to make sure you get help for yourself and make sure that you are clean before you involve yourself in someone else, with someone else in a relationship. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, is like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. That's red flag number two. Red flag number three, a problem with responsibility. In other words, is that you or that person you're thinking about has a problem with keeping your word. Or you have a problem with, you know, you're often missing your responsibilities. You're often forgetting about stuff that you said you'd do. Maybe you're often lying your way out of tough situations. Maybe you're not financially responsible. And, you know, rather than making your own money and making your own living, you're always depending on handouts from your parents or from other people. Maybe you don't know how to take good care of yourself. There's an issue with responsibility. It's really tough to be in a relationship with someone when you can't take care of yourself or when you're not responsible. That's another red flag. Luke 16, 10 says this, says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little can also be diso- will also be dishonest with much. Red flag number four, a problem with respect. See, if you've got a problem with respect, that is another red flag that will make you want to say, maybe I need to pause on this before I go further with any kind of relationship. See, what is Respect. Let me give you the definition for respect today. Respect is treating people around you as having independent worth and value. In other words, people around you are worth something and are valuable, not just because of what they do for you or what they say about you or whether they agree with you, but they are valuable in and of themselves because God loves them and has made them in his image. Amen. That's called respect. And see, respect doesn't mean you agree with everything they say. Respect doesn't mean that you you approve of everything they do. Respect doesn't mean that you have to like them all the time. But respect means that you recognize that no matter what, this person is worth something. And I'm going to treat that person as being valuable. Turn to him and say, you are valuable. And see, here's the thing. Are you someone who treats others with respect? Because you're going to find that respect shows up in very practical ways. It shows up in how we talk to one another. It shows up in how we talk about one another. It shows up in the way we greet people. It shows up in the way that we you know, value people's time. And see, if you're considering someone, you ought to ask yourself, how do they treat others, especially their own family? Do they treat their family with respect? Because guess what? If they don't treat their own family with respect, one day when you marry them, you will be their family, and you will be treated probably the same way. That's red flag number four, a problem with respect. Red flag number five, a problem with commitment and contentment. See, what do you mean by that? Is that if you find that you're often bouncing from place to place, you're often bouncing from boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, you're often bouncing from one city to another, one job to another, one church to another, and you're just kind of bouncing and you, you, you don't really keep commitments, you're easily dissatisfied, you're bored quickly, you often quit, then chances are you want to work on that before you get into any relationship. Otherwise, you might find yourself doing exactly the same thing to the person you chase 
See, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. And if you're someone who struggles with a problem with commitment and contentment, let me just maybe ask you this question. Could it be that the reason why you struggle with contentment is because you're trying to fill a God-sized hole in your heart with something that's not God-sized? And maybe just maybe what you need is to realize that it's not any one person or thing that's going to satisfy you in this world, but God made you for a relationship with him. And until you got that vertical relationship going on, it's tough to be satisfied in or at peace with your horizontal relationships. Amen? And so keep that in mind. Is it a problem with commitment and contentment? See, these are just five red flags that you want to watch for. And if these are habitual, ongoing, almost like daily struggles for you, then I would submit that you want to work on yourself with God's help before you chase someone in a romantic relationship. See, in many ways, it all boils down to a question of self-control. Is do, Does this person have themselves under control, or are they depending on someone or something else to control them? Now, don't say, oh, but JB, you don't understand. One day when I meet that right person, we're going to be so in love, those issues aren't going to matter anymore. You know, he's going to be so enthralled with me, he won't want to do drugs anymore. You know, guess what? Guess what? We've got to be realistic about it. Um, if you have issues today, don't think that magically marriage is going to make them disappear. It won't. The fact is this. Marriage is the coming together of two people on every conceivable level. And if there are certain areas of your life that are not healthy, where you're not in control, guess what? You're going to introduce a level of uncertainty and insecurity and danger into the relationship you jump into. And so you got to watch for these red flags. Now, other than these red flags, that, there, there's, there's one more thing I want to say to those of you who are here who call yourselves Christians, who call yourselves followers of Jesus. Because this is the thing, whether or not it's time for you to date, whether or not you're ready for it, isn't just a matter for you of, am I mature enough? Or do I have these red flags going on? You also want to ask an even bigger question. Is, is God wanting me to do this? Is dating right now God's best plan for me? How do you know the answer to that question? Well, you pray, you ask for God's guidance. You take a sober, honest look at your situation and say, realistically, is it really something that is wise for me to start dating now? You get good advice from people you respect. You make it your goal that whatever you do, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to glorify God in whatever I do, whether I date or don't date. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says it this way. It says, and he, that's Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, in other words, being a follower of Jesus Christ is built on this understanding that this life of mine is not my own. That this is not just my life and it's about my comfort and my happiness and my feelings, but it's about, God, what do you want to do with this life? This life belongs to you. And whatever it is that I do in life, I want to do it for the glory of God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says it this way. It says, so whatever you eat or drink, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You know, one of the most significant things that happened to me when I was in my late teens, when I was a brand new Christian, was when I decided that I wanted to honor God with 
the way I approach dating going forward. Because I'd made so many mistakes prior to that. I'd made, you know, so many, you know, done so many things I regret prior to that. I was like, you know what, God, I, I just trust that maybe you've got a better way at this. I want to honor you in this way. And instead of trying to just chase my feelings and, and you, know, you know, focus on my attractions and my hormones, I, I would try to, you know, in the midst of all that, I'd just say, God, what, what, did it, what is it that you want me to do? And try to get advice, try to do things in a wise way, try to do things with faith and try to honor God. And guess what? I still made a bunch of mistakes. You know, I still went through a couple heartbreaks that were difficult and painful, but also believe this, that in trying to honor God, at least some of the time with my relationships, that I think it helped me and helped the people around me save ourselves from a little bit of trouble. And I think in the process, I think God's protection was there as well. It's because when you do things with God's glory in mind, you're going to find that life on the whole gets better and sweeter. Amen? You will still go through difficult times. You'll still go through pain. But at the same time, life takes on a joy, a purpose, a peace, a significance that life didn't have before because you're seeking God in the process. And because you seek God's kingdom first, God's promises, he'll add everything you need. Oh, come on. Give God a big hand here. Let's play together right now. Amen? So whatever you do, whether you date or don't date, do it for the glory of God. And will we make mistakes? Yes, we will. But just keep on hanging on to faith in him and doing it for God's glory. That's question number one. That was question number one. All right. We're not going to spend this much time on every question, but that one was one that a number of people asked. And we thought we'd need to spend more time on that one. We're going to go through a few a lot more quickly now. Question number two, how important is faith compatibility. So what this person is asking is, okay, so, you know, if I'm thinking about dating someone, I'm thinking about marrying someone, how important is it that we be compatible when it comes to our faith? How important is it that we be on the same page when it comes to what we believe and how we practice whatever it is that we believe? Can I tell you something? It's extremely important. It's extremely important. And, you know, we go into a lot more detail in this, in a course called Thrive Disciple School Level 2, Growing in My Relationship with God. There is a lesson in that course called uh, The Power of Partnership. We're going into a lot more detail about this and why the Bible is asking us to be careful in this area. But let me just say this, is that when it comes to your faith, that's the most foundational part of you. At least it should be. If you're a believer in Jesus, it's not just a side thing. It is the thing in your life. It is what determines determines your identity, your destiny, your purpose, your values. And see, it's, here's the thing, is for something as foundational and important as your faith, why would you align yourself and marry someone who's in a completely different mindset? You can't go forward anymore. Now you're gonna be, there's a constant tug of war. And that's why you're gonna find that if you do that, you're gonna find that there's gonna be practical problems in your relationship where you're just gonna not agree on stuff and it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be arguments. You know what? Relationships and marriage are tough enough as it is. You don't wanna make it even tougher by you know, kind of coming together with someone who is completely different from you in the most foundational way. And just for their sake and for your sake, you want to live in peace. Peace. If you believe that, say amen. More on that, look at Thrive Disciple School Level 2. You can sign up for that at mythrive.info. Another one is this. Question number three. As an adult, how do I build a healthy relationship with parents who are used to being authority figures in my life? Okay, so say, you know, for many, many years, you've been living in your parents' home under your parents' rules, you know, and it's all been there, just you're, you're the authority figure in your life, but now you're coming up from underneath their authority. You're now kind of becoming your own person, becoming independent, living on your own, making your own money. How do you then tra transition to a healthy relationship with them when they're not really the authority in your life as much 
much anymore. How do you do that? Well, first, can I just say this? Is it takes two to tango. In other words, any healthy relationship requires both parties to want to be in on a healthy relationship. And so if you happen to have a parent who maybe isn't emotionally that healthy, then it's going to be a challenge to have a healthy relationship with them. And a lot of it is just what you can do to be a healthy person and relate to them in as many healthy ways as possible. But hey, assuming that your parent is healthy as well, and they're willing and wanting to have a healthy relationship with you, what can you do? Let me give you a couple suggestions. One is try to build a friendship more and more with your parent. I'll give you an example. When I was in grade 12, on Friday nights, for some reason, my dad would often be out, and my sister would often be out with her friends. And so at home, it would just be me and my mom. And, you know, we decided, you know what, Friday nights would almost kind of be in grade 12 of high school. Friday nights became kind of like a date with my mom night. Uh, Saturday nights was my time to hang out with friends. But Friday night, for some reason, we just made that my mom and my time together. And we went to different restaurants. Both of us, at least back then, were really indecisive. And so we'd take the longest time to try to figure out places to go. And we'd spend like half an hour trying to figure out where we want to go. But then it was something that something special happened on those Friday nights, is that I started to see my mom in a slightly different way. No longer was she just an authority figure in my life, but at grade 12, I started to see her as kind of like a friend, someone I could talk to. And it was one of those things where I think if you want to you know, start to have a healthy relationship with your parents in a way where they're not so much the authority in your life, but they're more like a friend, can I encourage you to do this? Is you want to try to be intentional in that relationship. Spend time devoted to one another. Stay curious about your parent. Don't assume that you know everything about them already, but ask good questions that will get to know their stories, discover who they are, maybe stuff you didn't know before. Discover their language of love, whether it's words of affirmation or physical touch or or quality time or gifts or or acts of service and speak that language. Because in so doing, in a lot of ways, it's a lot like any other relationship or friendship. It's about taking time to be intentional. Amen? That's about how to have a healthy relationship with your parents. And see, here's the thing is, uh, you know, uh, the fact is your parents are two very special people in your life, uh, but they're also human beings as well. And, and a lot of the things we've talked about in terms of the art of healthy relating, so much of it applies to our parents as well. That was question number three. Question number four, is this helpful in this place so far? Yeah, all right. Question number four, how do you let people go? i.e. bad relationships and toxic, toxic friendships. Have you ever been that, been that before? In, a, in just a really bad relationship, really unhealthy relationship, or a toxic friendship, or maybe a toxic, you know, you don't even call it a friendship. It's just it's someone who's just really difficult in your life. They're, they're overbearing, they're controlling, they're hypercritical, they're really difficult. Some, don't, don't point at them, but you know, just think about them. And, and here's the thing, have you ever been in a relationship like that before? Well, guess what? Back in June of 2019, we did a message called Dealing with Difficult People. And in that message called Dealing with Difficult People, I give you six very practical tips on how to deal with the most difficult people in your life. Say you've already tried to communicate with them in a healthy way, but they still will not make amends with you. They still will not, you know, see things in any other way except their own. Guess what? That you want to check out that message called Dealing with Difficult People from June 2019. I hope you find it helpful. Question number five is what do you do if your partner cannot confide in you because they think you'll disagree. Okay, so maybe it's something where, you know, you always want them to share with you, but they're so unwilling to share, and, and it's, they're scared that you'll disagree. Why, you, here's the, if that's your situation, you got to ask yourself, why is that? Why, why is that happening? 
It could be that the reason why your partner isn't willing to share is maybe because of some stuff that's happened in the past. Maybe, you know, they experienced some rejection in the past. Maybe from you. Maybe from someone else. Maybe when they were a kid. And, and, and maybe there's almost like this self-defeating thing going on in them where they're just unwilling to share because they think, oh, it's not going to be worth anything anyways. And they've got some issues there. Or maybe, just maybe, if you look at the history of the way that you and your partner have communicated in the past, maybe, just maybe, you, uh, if you have to be really honest with yourself, can realize that maybe you need to be a better listener. And in episode three of this series, The Art of Healthy Relating, we talk about how to have healthy communication, and one of the huge parts of that is being a good listener. And the most important part of being a good listener is don't just listen to respond, listen to understand. Remember talking about that? Is it listen to respond? What's that? That's where you're just listening to the person and you're collecting information that you can use against them to prove your point and to prove that they're wrong and you're right. That is listening to respond. Listening to respond, that's when you're listening to them going, are you done? Are you done? Are you finished? Are you done? And you interrupt them because you're just like, can I talk now? See, that's listening to respond. What's listening to understand? Listen to understand is where you remove your assumptions. You stop thinking, oh, I already know what you're going to say. I already know everything that you have in your mind. You, know, you, you say, you know what? I'm going to listen to understand. I'm going to you know, not assume that I know it all, but I'm going to under, try to understand you as best I can. Like, what is something I don't know about you and about the situation right now? How can I understand you better? And see, the next time your partner has a concern, I want to encourage you, when they start sharing, resist the urge to interrupt them. Resist the urge to tell them why they're wrong, even if you disagree. See, really what it's about is trying to hear the other person out, trying to step inside their shoes and feel what they feel. And you can even reflect back to them what they've been saying to you. So you're saying that, you know, last time when I kicked you, you know, that that, that was something that you felt disrespected. And, and I, I, okay, that's what you meant? All right, is that what you're saying? And what are you doing? Is you're learning not just to listen to respond. You're listening to understand. Because how many know that your loved one doesn't just need someone to tell them that they're wrong? Your loved one doesn't just need someone to disagree with them, but your loved one needs someone who will be by their side and understand what they're going through, at least as best as you can. That's called the ministry of listening. And if you would aim to be the best listener you can be and commit to listening to understand, just like we talked about in episode three of the series, then I can pretty much guarantee you, you'll be on your way to something good or something better in that relationship, especially when it comes to that struggle. Amen? Luke chapter 8, 18 says, therefore consider carefully how you listen. We want to be careful, not just that we listen, but how we listen. We want to listen to understand. Question number six, and we're going to end it there. Here we go. Question number six is, what do you do if your partner and you disagree on something, but they are unwilling to compromise? All right, so you, you and your partner, you've been hashing something out, and you're trying to meet them in the middle, but they refuse to meet you in the middle. They refuse to compromise on this. There's no way. There's no way I'm compromising on this. You know, maybe it's something where, you know, you have a spouse who always feels the need to be in control. Maybe it's something where you've got kids, and, and, and they refuse to take a vacation. They refuse to get any rest. They just refuse to, to, to stop and rest. They just, I, I have to be with the kids. You know, the kids don't trust anyone else. I have to be with them. I have to be with them. And you're like, oh, but like, you know, Pastor JB shared about the importance of self-care, baby. I don't care what Pastor JB says, man. Like, this is what, and, and, and maybe that's one of those things where it's like, it's like you're just butting heads. They're not willing to compromise. What do you do then? Well, here's the first thing. First, try to get to the heart of the issue. What do I mean by that? Is if this person is unwilling to compromise, you want to ask why. 
Like, not just why on a superficial level, but deep down, why? What is it about them? What is it about what they're feeling? What is it about their fears? What is it about their emotions? What is it about their background or their past or their values that caused them to be so hard about this issue? Because the better you can understand where they're coming from, the better you can hopefully find a solution to the problem. That's the first thing. Go to the heart of the issue and understand why they're so stubborn about that issue. The second thing is this. Ask yourself, how important is this issue that we're disagreeing on? See, if it's just, you know, an issue that's not going to matter a week from now, just let it go, all right? Just let it go, let it go, be like Elsa, let it go, right? Just let it go. And, but, or it's something where, you know what, this is an ongoing problem that is going to keep on disturbing our marriage for the rest of our lives until we do something. If it's that serious, then maybe it's something where you need to approach it differently. It's something where I encourage you to pray. I encourage you both to pray if you can and to ask God for wisdom on how to work this out. Maybe, just maybe, when you ask God for wisdom and perspective on this, maybe, just maybe, you'll realize that perhaps, maybe, this is not an either-or situation where one person has to win, one person has to lose. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe there's a third way to deal with the situation. You want to ask for God's perspective. And for especially serious issues where despite doing all that, you still can't really work it out, I want to encourage you maybe to see a counselor. No harm, no shame in doing any of that. Or, you know, go to a neutral third party. Maybe, I don't know, your small group leader or a friend that you trust, that both of you trust, where you can all sit down and, and you can try to work out your differences together. See, the fact is this. From time to time in every relationship, especially close relationships, there will be times when you feel like your best effort didn't meet the other's most basic requirement. Or the flip is that that other person's best effort didn't meet your most basic requirement in an area that one of you really care about. What do you do then? When your basic doesn't meet, or when your best doesn't meet the other person's basic, does that mean it's the end of the relationship? Does that mean, oh, I guess we just don't love each other anymore? Or I guess it's the end of our relationship? Or I guess we just have to give up now? Or I guess it's not meant to be? No. When your best doesn't meet the other person's basic, you want to take a humble approach and believe this is an opportunity for God to do something new. This is an opportunity for a new, more mature love to manifest in our relationship. That's the Q&A for today. You know, if I didn't get to your question, I apologize. We just had simply way more questions than we had time for today. If we didn't get to your question, thank you so much for your question. What I encourage you to do is to go to your small group leader and, you know, maybe to your small group and hash out this question together, discuss this question together this coming week. Because how many know that when it comes to relationships, we need all the help we can get. Amen? Yeah, and it's not just God's help, but God puts people in our lives. He gives us a church family that we can be a part of so that we can be healthy and have healthy relationships together and learn together the art of healthy relating. Can we give God a big hand in this place together right now? Praise God. Next week, as we get ready to cap off our series called The Art of Healthy Relating. I'm really excited to bring you a message that I don't think I've ever preached before, and I don't think you've maybe ever heard before. Uh, I'm going to preach to you about a message called Dealing with Dangerous Attractions. What do you do when you find yourself attracted to someone that you don't think you're supposed to be attracted to? We'll talk about that next week. Stay tuned for that if you're interested. I encourage you to come back. But in the meantime, right now, before leaving prayer, we ask the team to lead us in a song. At the end of the day, it's not our horizontal relationships that matter the most. It's our vertical relationship with God.
And let's work on that together. Let's invest in that together right now. Since we were made for relationships and especially with God, let's do that together right now. And ask the team to lead us in a song. After that, I'll lead you in prayer. Let's do that together right now. Today, we've been talking about the art of healthy relating how you and I, we were made for relationships. And not just a relationship with people, but even more, God made you for a relationship with Him. And until you have that relationship with Him, it's gonna feel like there's a God-sized hole in your heart that nothing else can fill. And if you're here and you have to be really transparent with yourself and you realize that maybe, maybe you're not that close to God today, then I encourage you to let you know there's something today is that because God loves us and wants a relationship with us. He didn't expect us to work our way to Him as if our resume would impress Him, as if the good things we do could work our way to Him, because the fact is we could never do that. God is perfect, we're not. But because God loves us with an unconditional love, because God is a love of a God of hope and a God of peace and a God of forgiveness, a God of compassion, a God of love, He sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a brand new start with God. And if you've never asked God to forgive your sins, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, then it's simple as praying a prayer. And if you could use the time to ask God for forgiveness today, I want to encourage you to do that with me right now. It's as simple as praying a prayer that I'd love to lead you in right now. And you know what you can do is you can scan the QR code that's on your screen, or you can click the link that's in your chat room. It's going to take you to a prayer uh, that, that's on a separate page. You'll still hear my voice, but it'll take you to a prayer that you can pray to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. And if you want to do that, I encourage you to do that right now. Click that link, scan that QR code. And just so that you don't feel like you're doing this on your own, I'm going to do this with you as well. In fact, I encourage those who've prayed this prayer before to pray it with those who are praying for the very first time. You can just do this right now. Just click that link, scan that code. And even if you don't see that prayer on the page, you can repeat this after me. You can say, Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That because you love me. That because you love me. You died in the cross. You died on the cross. To pay for my sins. To pay for my sins. You rose again. You rose again. To give me life. To give me life. Today. Today. I open up my heart. I open up my heart. And I ask you. And I ask you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Of all my sins. Of all my sins. And fill me. And fill me. With your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit. I place my trust. I place my trust. Not in what I do. Not in what I do. But in what you've done for me. But in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout, let's put together right now. Praise God. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then the Bible says that you are forgiven of your sins. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. It's not based on anything good that we do. It's all simply because God loves us with an amazing, unconditional, unlimited, eternal love for you and for me. And so if that's you, at the bottom of that same page where you prayed that prayer, there's some gifts that we'd love to send to you. On top of that, we encourage you to keep coming to church. Every baby needs a family to grow up in. We'd love to be your spiritual family. On top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, but I thank Jesus Christ for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. And if that's you, you've already believed that, you've already received Jesus just now, then you're ready for baptism as well. You can sign up at mythrive.info for that. Hello everyone! Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy and it's so great to be here with you guys today virtually from wherever it is you're watching. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So please text you to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. 
If you prayed the prayer with Pastor JB earlier to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package for you and we'll send you a series of videos that will help answer some questions about Christianity. Please text BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or visit MyThrive.info. Have you heard yet? Thrive Church is resuming in-person service starting Easter Sunday. That is so exciting. To make this all possible, we're also recruiting a setup and teardown team. As we're now a portable church, it takes a great team to convert Lightbump Place into Thrive Church each Sunday. Head to MyThrive.info to sign up. Small group is a place where you can get connected. If you're not currently part of a small group yet, we highly encourage you to join one. We meet on Zoom regularly to hang out, have fun, encourage, and pray for one another. Sign up on mythrive.info. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. I will see you all next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. And remember to tell your friends and family. Thrive Church is meeting in person again on Easter Sunday at Leapop Place. Bye!